in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them touching suckers like the f***ing players. So you're telling me Tyler Huntley was the fourth alternate? Correct. So the three Pro Bowl quarterbacks in the AFC were Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow. Correct. Which then means there's three other players ahead of Huntley. Probably. Would be first, second, and third Lamar. alternate. Which would be probably Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, and Tua. Trevor Lawrence. Tua, 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 or, Tua or Lawrence. Yeah. And so then he would be ahead of Trevor Lawrence. And then Derek Carr. Zach He's ahead Wilson. of Mac Jones, Derek right. Carr, Ryan Tannehill. Ahead of Mac Jones. I'm sure I might be. <laughs> Let me get out on the field, show what I got. So it would take if the AFC has three, uh, pro, if you have three quarterback spots, one of the three goes to the Pro Bowl, which would then elevate. We'll just say Super Bowl. Your Super Bowl, excuse me. Then th- that would elevate. We'll just say Herbert, and then. He would be the third alternate at that point, so they'd need three more quarterbacks. Yeah, to it's gonna out. be it's gonna be tough for him to get there. There's yeah. an outside chance, but like just the fact that he is even on the list, that's crazy. Well, he only he'd be on a guy that got benched in Derek Carr. It's not too hard, is it? And a guy on the IR, yeah, Ryan Tannehill. And the guy you're better than. So, so really, it's and just, the guy I'm better than. It's just likely Trevor Lawrence is the one head scratcher as to why he's ahead of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. most likely. All right, Jalen Hurts returned to practice on Thursday. He was listed as limited. Nick Sirianni, the head coach in Philly, has not named a starting quarterback for this week. Obviously, Gardner Minshew started last week against the Cowboys. Hurts coming back from injury could end up being. That guy, anyways. Philly still needs one win to clinch the number one seed in the NFC, especially after Dallas won last night. There is a, a little bit more pressure here, but they're playing the Saints. Let's go, Saints. Let's I, go, Saints. If you're Philly, don't you play Gardner Minshew because, hey, yeah. we can beat the Saints? I mean, Gardner Minshew, it's not like he fell on his face last week. They scored 34 points. Right. And he threw for over 300. Yeah. I mean, I, I play him against the Saints. Yeah. They're at home. Yeah. I, I think the only way you start Hurts is if it's week 18 and you lost you, to the Saints. And, and you have to win to get the one seed. Right, and you're going into it saying, hey, there's a chance we fall out of the one seed uh, with a loss here, which, again, is possible. The Vikings and the 49ers are still sort of in the mix as well, uh, but they should be able to beat the Saints either way. Because here's the other part. If you're the Eagles, if you get the one seed, you get a buy in the first round right. of the playoffs. So maybe actually now that I now that I'm talking about it, maybe you want to play Hurts just because otherwise he'd be off for a month before uh, a playoff game. Last week, this week he'd end with a buy. Yeah, and week eighteen and then a buy more than a month. Yeah, so maybe maybe you're playing him in week eighteen no matter what. Like you sit him this week because he's not 100, percent and then no matter what he's playing week eighteen. If you need to win, he plays the whole game. If you don't need to win, he plays the half. And then good job, Jalen. Right. Here comes Gardner Minshew. But maybe they do need to play him because otherwise it hurts out for a month. Yeah, just treat it like a preseason game. Mama didn't raise no uh, wuss. The Ravens host the Steelers on Sunday night football. Baltimore. 
is a game back of the Bengals in the AFC North. Cincinnati and Baltimore play in week 18, by the way. There's a chance that game sets up as a winner wins the division and gets a home game in the playoffs. Pittsburgh still alive after beating the Raiders. One game back of the Dolphins for the final wild card spot. But the bigger issue is they are tied with New England, uh, New York, and Tennessee. Actually, Tennessee lost last night. So Tennessee is now a half game behind them. Uh, but they're tied with New England and uh, the Jets. They've, I believe, lose the tiebreakers yeah, in pretty I much think, every scenario. I think last week their percentages to make the playoffs were 2% going into the Raiders. And they won and they went to like 2.5%. Right. I they just lose every tiebreaker. Yeah. So... They can still get there. Uh, they basically, I think they need to win out and Miami lose out. And then New England and New York lose one game the rest of the way. And Pittsburgh would be in. But they're still there somehow. Mike Tomlin has his team around 500 despite uh, that team's not any good, no. right? Like, that. there's no reason that team should be 7-8 and eight no. and potentially 9-8 and eight or 8-9 eight and nine to end the season. I'm about to install Tinder. I'm so thirsty. All right, let me know if this is a good gift. Joe Burrow bought his offensive lineman tickets to a cruise. Good gift? Um, I'm not going to say it's a bad gift, but here's the thing. As you read the story, he doesn't like boats. No. <laughs> and he doesn't want to be out in the ocean because he's stuck. He says, the quote is, you're stuck out there. What if something happens? But you're throwing your offensive line out That's there? Right. That's right. That's right. Get him some Rolexes. Is it it a private cruise? I do not know the answer to that. Uh, But Ben Baby of ESPN, he's the one that tweeted out uh, Joe Burrow's gift to his offensive lineman. Do you have to ask somebody, if you're going to gift them something that's as big as a cruise, do you have to like ask them or just know ahead of time if they are pro or anti-cruise? I hope you'd ask them because if you're anti, there could be some of the offensive linemen who are anti-cruise and don't want to go out in the middle of the ocean. Right. Danny's anti-cruise. My fiance, she will not go on a cruise. Like, if we won a free cruise, she wouldn't do it. I wouldn't either. A lot of people don't want to go out in the middle of the ocean with nothing out there. I don't even like flying over water. I would not go. (laughs) I would not sit on a cruise. Plus, it's basically you being stuck in a hotel with thousands of people. Right. Uh, no. So I, I'm I'm like it's a expensive guess, gift. It's a nice yes. gesture, but I am curious how much like research did Joe Burrow do to know it? Because here's the thing: if they all are like, "Oh, we want to go on a cruise," and they're like, "Hell yeah, cruise!" Great gift, good job, Joe Burrow. But if they're like him, and you're like, uh, "We're stuck out here. What happens?" Maybe he's like, uh, he gave it to his left guards out here. Like, I don't want this, Joe. Can Stay you just buy me buffet plane line the entire time? Those those big guys. <laughs> Do you think he splurged for the all inclusive package? I would hope they're not in like some box stateroom. He's still on his rookie deal. They have he's, to, they have he's to pay not, He doesn't have the forty million dollar contract yet. Yeah, he's still on the rookie deal. I'd I'd, I'd be thanks a lot, but where's my Rolex? Uh, have you guys seen the video? Um. Where did I see it? I think I saw it on TikTok. Um, there's a cruise. Maybe it's all of them. I don't know. But there's a cruise where there's a plate on the floor in the elevator that says what day of the week it is. And one of the employees of the cruise comes at midnight and changes the plate to say from Friday to Saturday or whatever. And I've seen multiple videos. People that are just on the cruise were probably drunk. Just stand in the elevator and wait at midnight for this guy to come change the, the, plaque the plate out to say the day, and then they all lose their minds celebrating when the guy changes the day <laughs> on the floor. It's great. That's like makes that employee's day that he's the hero of everybody changing the date. 
They've got a few cocktails. On oh, it. absolutely. And I would, if I was on a cruise, I would 100% do that. I'd would be like, you go on a cruise? Uh, I don't have anything against I've never been on one. I would go on one, but I wouldn't. I'm not seeking one out. If you gave right. me a free one, absolutely I'm in. But I'm you'd not go. gonna. If I'm gonna spend money on a vacation, I'll probably just take a normal vacation somewhere. Plus, he'd have to go by himself if the fiance won't go. That's true. She would not go if you were going. No, I don't think she would. I I, I don't think there's a scenario where she would actually go on a cruise. get on a boat and go in the middle yeah, of the ocean. I don't think she'd do it. Uh, and 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 I I understand the question. Celtics head coach Joe Mazzula. Uh, we got two things on him. First off, the Celtics have played the last two games without him because he has an eye injury that he picked up while playing pickup basketball. So Joe Mazzula might be blind in one eye at the moment <laughs> because, like, you he can't. Co- it's not like he's playing. He can't coach. So I'm guessing he can't see right, out of that right. eye or something. Or. I guess possibly they're like, you need to stay out of bright lights and arenas are pretty bright. So maybe it's just, hey, stay in a dark room because it's going to bother your eye. I don't know, but I'm guessing he can't see out of an eye. Uh, But the other Joe Mazzula story, this is from a story in The Athletic. (laughs) Apparently, Joe Mazzula calls timeouts and sometimes just doesn't talk to his players. Uh, Grant Williams said he calls a timeout and sometimes he doesn't even say any words. He just calls that timeout. We sit there and we talk to one another. We do what we need to do. I mean, it's working. <laughs> They're first in the East. I think they do. They have the best overall record. Uh, they beat the Clippers last night. Yeah, they beat the I Clippers last they, night. I think they do have the number one overall record. I mean, <laughs> what works? Don't say anything. So let those guys decide between themselves what's happening. Here's a genuine question: How are you a bad NBA coach? Like, what? What do these guys Talking? do? To be, right. Like, what do these guys do to be bad NBA coaches? If the Celtics are like. Yeah, our coach doesn't even talk yeah. to us. He just calls a timeout, and we just figure things out on our own. Like, okay, should it's the NBA. Should they all be doing that? I, how are you a bad NBA coach when there's a story like this out there that Joe Mazzulla's got the best record, and he's just like, yeah, you guys suck. Figure it out. I like. I actually like his approach. <laughs> if you got good players, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you have Jason Tatum and others and Jalen Brown and people like that who know what they're doing. Can you imagine... And I know it's comparing the NBA to college basketball, which is very different. Oh, no. Can you no. imagine no. if, if they, let's just say, we'll, we'll use UNLV as an example. End of game scenario, you're down one, 10 seconds left, call a timeout. And we find out Kevin Kruger doesn't say anything in the huddle. He just lets the players figure out what they want no. to do. Oh, he'd get hammered. If they miss the shot, oh, you'd get hammered for that. That would be the biggest crime ever committed against basketball. College coaches love the control too much. Oh, they love to overanalyze. God, that'd be great. I actually now want that. I want Kevin Kruger to call a time tomorrow and just look at like EJ Harkless, Keyshawn Gilbert and say, what do you guys want to do? Figure it out. Right. And just walk out of the huddle. That'd be so great. I'd be pumped about that. I'd be like, yep, that's how you do it in the NBA. Figure it out here, guys. (laughs) Next question. The Pac-12 might... Start releasing injury reports, according to CBS Sports. This is part of a potential data sale the Pac-12 would make to sports betting companies. So first point, the Pac-12 is looking for money anywhere they can get it. Second point, I love that years and years and years of college coaches being secretive about injuries, not saying anything about it, the way we end up getting Injury reports in college athletics is because of sports gambling. Because sports gambling. Well, <laughs> they're not being hypocrites about it. They're being forth, you know, it's forethought. Good for them. 
I, I also love I also want to know what the Pac-12 coaches think when the Pac-12 commissioner calls up their AD and says, "All right, we're going to start doing injury reports. <laughs> You're going to have to let us know every linebacker, we want questionable, lineman. we want probable, we want out, and we want to know what the injury is." Football coaches be like, "What the hell?" I've not yeah. been doing this for my entire career, and now you're going to make me. Get ready for upper and lower body injuries. Oh, it's going to be so many oh, of those. Oh, man. So many of those. Great question. Next Thank question. you. Aaron Judge will get a hotel suite on road trips. Part of his nine-year contract with the Yankees means he gets a full hotel suite to himself. Yeah. I now suddenly don't care as much about the details of money and years in baseball contracts. I need these details. Oh, I think a lot of guys get this. I don't think this is I don't think this is new. I think a lot of stars get suites. How many stars are there though? In terms of each team? Yeah, one or two? Maybe like, you know, I think Mookie Betts would get his own suite if he wanted it. Maybe Freddie Freeman. See, that's what I want to know. How many players across the league are getting this suite contract? And how many players like did Trey Turner sign his contract with the Phillies and didn't get this sweet clause? And now we season and he's like, damn, right. I should have had up. that put in. I messed up. Like, these are the things I want to know. And do pitchers who aren't going to be pitching in the road trip get sweets? Oh, like if, if they're not in the rotation for those three or four games, they play like the day before the trip or the day after the trip. Do they get their suite or DeGrom do they have just to give signed up a, a big suite? deal? DeGrom and the Rangers are on the road in, I don't know, Seattle. DeGrom's not pitching. Does he get a suite? Oh, you can't give him a suite, right? I mean, if it's, if it's, contra- oh, if, it's in his, if it's in his contract, you got to be like, nah, just hanging out. nah, DeGrom, you got to give it to the other guy that's pitching. the guy who's actually, yeah. actually Martin Perez, to focus or tired. Be. that's right. Nathan Avaldi gets it this week. Sorry, DeGrom. You don't get it because you're not pitching. You just like, I, my favorite thing in baseball is when they leave a starting pitcher behind because it's like, ah, he's not pitching in this series and he's got to get ready for his start and we're back home or something. I love that. Or they send him home early. Like, yeah, go, go get ready. Go right. get a good night's sleep. Right. And, and uh, so you can actually pitch well. I love that. It's like, yeah, you're not a part of the team anymore. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into some golden Knights as they take on the Nashville predators tomorrow. Knights a giveaway and a shot saved by Thompson standing upright. Shuts down Sam Carrick at close range. Fowler coming to hit. Ducks in with eight seconds on the left wing side. Through the left wing circle. Terry feeds right a shot. Glove save! 16 seconds left on the power play, but only two seconds left in overtime. Logan Thompson keeps this one going. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Golden Knights are back in action tomorrow. New Year's Eve game at noon against the Nashville Predators. By the way, we have tickets to give away to a game later in January, Golden Knights and Panthers. So stay tuned for that. Also, we've got some Porta subs to give away in this hour. So a couple of different things you can win if you keep listening right here. Now, Jack Eichel doesn't appear as though he'll be back anytime soon. Um, Jonathan Marcheseau, though, a I'm assuming he's going to be back, if not tomorrow, at some point in the near future. Um, so here's a question. If we're assuming Marceau comes back and Cassidy keeps the misfit line together, Marceau, um, Carlson, and Smith, what should the first line look out look like with no Jack Eichel when you have Stone and Stevenson? Last game, we saw three different guys get some significant minutes there. 
Pavel Dorofeyev actually played almost six minutes with Stone and Stevenson. Michael Amadio played three and a half, and Will Carrier played a minute and a half. I like production. The Amadio kids got five points like in four games, five games. I'm a big Amadio guy right now, Tyler. Okay. I'm a big Michael Amadio guy right now. So, okay. If you're keeping the misfit line together, because you can obviously move like a Riley Smith up there and try to figure it out that way. But if we're assuming that that line stays together, I think there are five options to potentially play on that first line. One of them is Phil Kessel. Um, He's the only one with an expected goals rate under 50% with Mark Stone uh, on the team. So I can't imagine, like doing that is not going to help the first line. You would only do that if you're trying to hide Phil Kessel and you can't really hide a guy on the first line. So that one doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Pavel Dorofeyev is an option, right? He played there six minutes in the last game and they actually, by the way, had an 80% expected goals in those six minutes. So it was a good six minutes. Very small sample size. Maybe you try that out again because, hey, it wasn't bad for six minutes and maybe there's something more there with Pavel Dorofeyev, but it's very small sample size and he might be out of the lineup. Uh, Golden Knights start getting a little bit more healthy. So that leaves you, I think, with three legitimate options here. Michael Amadio is one of them, and he's actually the one that's gotten the most minutes in this role. Amadio and Stone, 55 minutes together this year. They have a very good 63% expected goals rate, right? That's phenomenal. You did that over the course of an entire season. You're maybe the best line in hockey. But Cassidy obviously wasn't very thrilled with Amadio in that role against Anaheim, took him off that uh, line. And by the way, they had a 0% Corsi in the three minutes they played against Anaheim together. Um, but you probably shouldn't give up on him. I think you're you're kind of right in the sense that uh, he's been productive there, and it means you should probably give it another shot. I think Will Carrier would be interesting. Uh, he scored quite a bit this season. You're all If you're all about uh, production, Will Carrier is having his best career year. Yeah, he's got like 11 goals. Maybe you reward him, or if you're looking for somebody that's actually scoring a little bit, put him with Mark Stone. Might get some goals there. And small sample size, 24 minutes, though. Stone and Carrier together, their expected goals rate 72%, which is very, very good. And then the last option to me, and maybe the most interesting, is Nick Waugh, who is not producing. But the reason I think it's interesting is when the Golden Knights have Eichel with Stone and Stevenson, you're basically playing with two centers on that right. line in Eichel and Stevenson. And Stevenson, and Stevenson actually takes a, the majority of the faceoffs when those three are on the ice together, even though Eichel's sort of the default center. I do wonder, and we haven't seen it yet, so maybe he doesn't care about this, but I do wonder if there's anything about two centers on that line uh, about putting Nick Waugh there because Nick Waugh is a center. And he hasn't been producing so far this year, but we've seen Nick Waugh play well in the past. This isn't a guy who's never played well in his career. And I do wonder if there's anything about having two options to play center on the same line that Bruce Cassidy might try out. And if he wants to do that, Nick Waugh would be the best option to do so. So I think those are your three legitimate options, Waugh, Carrier, and Amadio. I like Amadio. I like Amadio. I think, uh, and I didn't know... So Stone against the Ducks, Stone and him on the same ice, zero percent Corsi. Yes, they did not get a okay. shot attempt. Which and then uh, Bruce Cassidy was like, "All right, where's Pavel Dorofeyev? He's going to get some minutes up there." <laughs> hey, and PD. they were good. They hey, were good. PD, let's yeah. go. 
Well, Will Carrier got some time there too after that. So yeah, they were. It, it's I, it's the worst game why? that Amadio has played with Stone and Stevenson. I'm wondering why he in why he favors two centers in the top line if that's what if he go. Well, Lacroix. he hasn't done it since Eichel's been out, so it's not like it's something he's really truly searching out. But I do. I'll say I don't know enough about what he wants out of the top line or what roles he wants them to play that would lead to that being a good or a bad thing. But it certainly worked with Eichel and Stevenson and Stone. Maybe it works just because Eichel and Stone are really good. And, and what would they do with Law's spot? So and that's so that's the other part of this that makes Amadio, I think, the the best option. You get to keep your fourth line together. Which and, has been a good line. Right. Um that uh, there's probably some importance there to keeping that together, especially if you're not planning on getting anything out of the third line, which they're still not getting anything out of the third line. Basically, if you break up the fourth line and all of a sudden that line's bad too, and you have two unplayable lines that that doesn't work, right? Like you can't, you, you can't play with two unplayable lines. So there is a big benefit for Amadio to stay on that top line because Carrier and Waugh should be playing on the fourth line, which is right. by minutes technically the third line. But there is a big benefit to Amadio staying there and potentially Pavel Dorofeyev if he's going to stay up and if he's going to stay in the lineup. Those two guys, it might make a little bit more sense because you're pulling off the third line rather than pulling off the fourth line, which is already good. The other key in all of this, like I say every time we talk about line combinations, you can change them. Like we talk about, he does that a lot. Right, actually, a lot of times we talk about line combinations like they're, like they're stuck and they have to. No, stay he that does way. that a lot. It does not have to be that way. No. If you want to try Amadio out or Dorfeyev or any of these guys, Wa Carrier, and it doesn't work, you can go change to a different back. guy. Or if you want, okay, we need to get more out of the first line. Let's throw Riley Smith up there. We can right. break up the misfits. They're not unbreakable either. So you can change things. And like he did against Anaheim, you can change things on the fly and make it different and see if that works and helps you come back and win or hold a lead, whatever it is. Hell, you can throw Phil Kessel up there for a few shifts. If you think he's having a good night and would help out. So you're never married to the lines, which Bruce Cassidy has shown. He's clearly not married to the lines. because. No. He'll go he from Amadio to Dorofeyev to Will Carrier right. in one in, game, in yeah. one spot. So that's a part of it that's fun that you can change a lot. One other hockey story. Did you see the Maple Leafs got fined $100,000? Boy, I'll tell you what. The NHL really takes their Christmas vacation seriously. Oh, so the, so here's, what, here's the situation in the NHL. The Players Association has negotiated successfully a three-day break the 24th, the 25th, and the 26th of Christmas. That is three, those are three off days. Can't, no games, obviously. Can't do anything on them. Can't practice. Players can go if they want and skate, but there's no team practice, film study, whatever, lifting weights, can't do anything. That includes travel. But here's the problem. The NHL schedules games on the 27th, but teams aren't allowed to travel on the 26th, which means... Teams are traveling the same day that they're playing on the 27th if you have a road game. The Maple Leafs, what they were trying to do, they were going to fly right at midnight. As soon as the calendar turned to the 27th, they were were getting on the plane and leaving. But apparently, their plane left at 10.30 p.m. instead of midnight. Now, I don't know how they left an hour and a half early, but their plan was to fly at midnight. They ended up leaving at 10.30, which is still the 26th. 
and they got a hundred thousand dollar right. fine because that violates the CBA, the Players Association. Charter's has. not run by Southwest. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> the Maple Leafs are the, the only. Maple Leafs are it's the, the only. only flight in the country for the last month. <laughs> they to got leave off early. early. Yes. Yeah, an hour and a half early. <laughs> so they got fined a hundred thousand dollars. Not really a big fine for uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, but it is a fine for essentially violating a flight. I actually. It's a little silly. If you were a player, I think I'd rather fly at like 10 o'clock at night on the 26th than either midnight or 6 a.m. I don't want to fly at 6 a.m. if I have a game that day. Right. I think I'd rather fly at 1030 at night. Now, again, it violates the CBA. You're going to get fined. But I think from a player standpoint, I would rather do what the Maple Leafs did. I wonder who told on them. Wake up. That's a good question. Eh, it's probably the league really new that it was 10:30. I mean there's enough people on the flight that they even if it's just like hey we're taking off at 10:30 and I don't know there's enough people on the flight. It's not like it's a secret between three people. The, the whole F- damn team. The FAA called up <laughs> called call, up Gary Bettman. No, called, called up the Gary Bettman and was like, "Hey, they want to leave an hour and a half early. I don't know if, I don't know if this is right." <laughs> All right, coming up next, Mark Ziegler joins the show to talk about San Diego State and UNLV. Deflects a pass in the front court, and Keyshawn comes away with it. Gilbert down the left side. Gilbert out to Hamilton. Long three for Bryce. Is good and a foul. Bryce a chance for a four-point play with 11.40 to go. Keyshawn cross to McCabe. He'll shoot a three. Jordan McCabe knocks down the three. Good job by Jordan to get open and knock it down. 66-41, under nine to go. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. What were those sad highlights, Danny? Yeah. Those sounded just depressing. Were they getting blown out in the game? Uh, I don't know. I, I just <laughs> is there I a highlight picked, there from Bryce Hamilton? I think so. Yeah, I picked uh, UNLV San Diego State highlights from ah. last year. Ah, so they were okay. getting blown out. Okay. Right. Uh, joining us now so. from right. the San Diego Union Tribune is Mark Ziegler. Uh, Mark, before we get to some basketball, is your favorite Christmas present of the year Derek Carr getting benched? <laughs> I was wondering if they'd be smart enough to do that. <laughs> I could, I could just see a, a Jimmy Garoppolo situation on our hands here. And and the scary thing is, what happens if Stidham gets hurt and they have to put him back in? Oh I no, mean, he's he's inactive. It's uh, he'll be on the Chase, couch. It's oh, Chase Garbers. Chase Garbers. Yeah, who had to get excited for Chase Garbers playing quarterback for the Raiders? Um, what, Mark, I don't know uh, why you're a Raiders fan, but do you ever regret it? Uh, there's been, it, it, it tests your loyalty. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm a Rangers fan going back to, to the John Madden days, even before that, because I grew up in the Bay Area and, and followed the, you know, the, the A's and the Raiders and, uh, and the Warriors. And there were some salad years in there when they all were winning championships. And so when you're a kid and your team wins a championship, now you get really loyal because kids are always front running. Um, and now I've tried to remain loyal, which is hard to do. <laughs> All right, so on UNLV and San Diego State, I'm curious from the outside, uh, how bad does that loss for UNLV to San, or to San Jose State uh, look for them? Well, I think on the surface it looks, it looks bad, right? Because at San Jose State, they were 1-17 last year. They're perennial door, doormat of the, of the conference, and you know, you're supposed to be good, and you're 11-1. and one. But I think when all is said and done, when we, we look back at this in three or four weeks, it's not going to look terrible because I think home teams are going to win a lot of games in this league. It's so tight, uh, and the home, home court advantage is, is actually pretty 
large, maybe larger in this conference than any other because of the travel, because of the the altitude and all those things that go into it and the funky gyms and, and all that. And and now when you don't have big separation between teams, I think the home court advantage comes into play a little bit more. So, I mean, it you know, yeah, it's not a good loss, but it's not the end of the world because I think you're going to have a whole bunch of teams losing on the road in this in this conference. Is this the best the conference has been to you in a, in a while? No, I don't think the conference is great. I just think you have a whole glut of average teams, and they're all going to fight each other and battle each other and beat each other up. I, I, I think San Diego State is has the potential to be you know a step above everybody else, uh, and that's that jury's out a little bit. But I think you know when you get past San Diego State, I think the next ten teams are pretty evenly matched. To be honest, uh, I'm curious that the whole you know road games and it being hard to play here. UNLV only played one true road game, and it was at San Diego. Um, I think San Diego State, they also only played one true road game as well. If you're a coach in this conference, don't you need to schedule more than that? Well, that's the trick because you don't want to go on the road and expose yourself to an unnecessary loss in the preseason just so you'll be toughened on the road uh, at, at the expense of you know what it could do to your resume. And I think you know most programs that can, and UNLV is one of them, San Diego State's another one, that can kind of control their non-conference schedule aren't going to play a whole lot of true road games. San Diego State's been very successful on the road uh, in this conference and even out of conference. Um, they went up to Stanford and blew out Stanford. And and and, um, and so we'll see, though. Um, you get into the Mountain West, and these road games start to stack up, and it gets really, really hard. I mean, San Diego State plays UNLV, and then next weekend they go to Wyoming. Uh, and so it's a really important stretch for them because if they, you know, if they lose two road games and they're one and two, then you know, what does that do to them? Um, and so... You know, I, I, I can see both sides of it, um, but usually uh, if you're going to play a road, a, a road game, it's either going to be a bye game against somebody really, really good, um, or it's going to be a home-and-home. Home. And if you don't want to play a home-and-home home against someone who's lesser than you and have to go to their home floor and expose yourself to a bad loss. So that's, I think, the reason you don't see it as much. Uh, we saw them blow out Ohio State, saw them lose to St. Mary's, who I think is not a great St. Mary's team. It seems like they're still trying to find themselves, San Diego State. Uh, what kind of team comes here tomorrow? I don't know. I mean, I've been watching them all season, and, and you really don't know. Um, that's one of, been one of their problems. They've been inconsistent, uh, not so much in their record, because they, you know, they don't really have a terrible loss. But, I mean, their worst loss is St. Mary's. They should have beaten. They had uh, you know, number nine Arkansas beat. Um, they were up four with 13 seconds left, and and then you know a couple dumb plays by admittedly dumb plays by the Aztecs, and they lost in overtime. Um, and then the other losses to Arizona, and they led that game in the second half. So they haven't had any terrible losses, but their their wins, you know, they haven't looked great in some of their wins against lesser teams. And so they just even to the players, the players have been wildly inconsistent. I mean, Matt Bradley went from scoring five points and taking four shots against UCSD in their next game, scoring 27 and only missing three shots. I mean, took 12 shots, it was 9 of 12, and one of those was a, uh, a three at the shot clock buzzer. So he really scored 27 points on 11 shots, which is just remarkable. Um, but, you know, before that, he was a non-factor. So I don't know what to make of them, and I don't know what, what you'll see. I think, you know, they are the most, probably most experienced, most hardened team in the conference. So um, – Adversity isn't going to sort of shake them up. If they get behind, they've been behind in games and come back already. So they've probably had the best test of the non-conference. Um, but we'll see what happens. What uh, What would you say is their biggest flaw right now? Well, besides inconsistency, it's offense, uh, which wasn't a flaw early in the season. That's what's kind of so perplexing about them is if they had just been a bad offensive team all year like they were last year, 
um, then you just say, well, they're not very good on offense. But they were actually really good on offense the first you know, five or six games. I mean, they, they were scoring averaging 80 points a game, which is rare for them. Um, they scored a ton of points against um, Stanford and, uh, and against Ohio State. Um, and even against Arkansas, I mean, they were in the 70s and 80s in every single game. And then all of a sudden they hit this lull where they score in three out of four games against kind of lesser opponents, they score um, 60, 61, and 62. And you're just kind of looking at going, wait a minute, what's going on? And even the other night, they scored 71 against uh, Air Force. That was the most Air Force has given up in regulation all year, or equaled the most um, they've given up all year. But, you know, Matt Bradley's 9 of 12, and the rest of the team shoots 40%. So I'm not really sure that was a great offensive performance other than one guy got incredibly hot. Uh, and so that's been their issue. They, they can't they just struggle to find rhythm on offense and ways to score. And I don't know what it is because they did it before, and I don't think the coaches know, and they're just trying all kinds of different things, trying to recapture that. One thing that did happen was Darian Trammell, their point guard transfer from Seattle, who's very good, um, he, he injured a hamstring about midway through the, the preseason and played like four or five games with it heavily taped up, and he just wasn't himself, and you could tell. And he's healthy again, and so that might be part of the, part of the reason. And, and, but they just don't have enough games to really know if, if that was it or not. Uh, 13th in Ken Palm in defense, um, and we've known them to be, you know, even higher than that. Are they as good defensively as they've been? They they were, and then they weren't, and then they were again. And again, that's the inconsistency that you've seen this season. The last three games, they've been really, really good. Um, and what was really interesting, and I wrote a little bit about this today, is they came off their two best Ken Palm performances against Kennesaw State and uh, UCSD. And, you know, not great teams, but just complete. I mean, UCSD had uh, 25 points after 30 minutes, and that, it was just an incredible defensive effort, and they kind of took their foot off the gas in the last 10 minutes, and UCSD got a bunch of points. But, um, so they come off their two best, statistically their two best defensive performances. They're playing Air Force, and all of a sudden they go into a 1-3-1 zone, and they never play zone. And they've been working on this quietly in, in practice, and they, and they showed it for like one possession against UCSD and maybe somebody else, and all of a sudden they play the zone, and um, and so that's like another added dimension that they have. I'm not sure they needed it in that game, but one of the reasons they said they did it is because UNLV has struggled against oh, 1-3-1 this season. They're a nightmare against it. Right, and so they're like, you know, we could just spring it on them, but, you know, we need to get some, some work on it ourselves and get some tape on it so we can teach to that tape about, okay, no, you can't be here, you got to be here, and that type of thing. So I think... You know, as good as they've been man to man, I think you're going to see that one three one. At least they're going to show it and see what UNLV does against it. Uh, unofficial count: UNLV scored six points on fourteen possessions against the one three one in their last game against San Jose State. Wow! Yeah, not very wow. good. And one and one of those was a three they made out of a timeout where Kevin Kruger drew up a very specific play to get a three. So, so six points, fourteen possessions. Yeah, unofficial. That's just me watching it and counting. But it, uh, yeah, it was it was not a very good performance against the one three one zone. I was actually surprised that Tim Miles went away from it. Like they gave up one basket, and he's like, "All right, we got to stop that." And I was like, "I wouldn't stop that. It hasn't looked good at all." Um, big picture for you: Does the winner of the Mountain West have? 13 or more wins, or is the winner of the Mountain West going to be like 12 and 6? I would think 13 will be the over-under. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. I think somebody will emerge. I think someone will emerge from the fray. Maybe it's San Diego State. Maybe it's New Mexico who's been playing really, really well. And, they, and it was interesting to me about those two teams because I think they're the two best candidates to kind of you know, climb above the clouds. Um, 
but they've gone about it two completely different ways. You know, New Mexico scheduled nobody. I mean, they played at, at like Ed said, a sort of a suspect St. Mary's team in one, but the rest of their non-conference schedule has been nobody. And, and, uh, but they've got confidence, and they're rolling now. San Diego State played, you know, what, according to some rankings, of the ninth hardest schedule in the country. Uh, it's harder than all but, I think, three teams in the top 25. I mean, they played a really, really hard schedule uh, to prepare themselves but, you know, did they sort of expose more flaws and lost some confidence and consistency? So we'll see which of those two do. Um, but I think, you know, even if one team emerges, I think there's going to be a, just a glut of 11 and 7, 12 and 6, you know, 9 and 9, 10 and 8, kind of teams, you know, um, 8 and 10. I mean, I think you're just going to see that all through the conference because I just think it's going to be really hard to win on the road. I think there's going to be a lot of close games. Uh, it would be exciting for fans. Um, but if that's just the way this this conference is. It's it's. I don't want to say they're all flawed teams, but there's no real great teams right now. Well, he is Mark Ziegler from the San Diego Union Tribune and the number one Derek Carr fan. Mark, we appreciate. Thanks, it. Mark. <laughs> appreciate it, brother. All right, talk to you guys. See you. See you. Uh, so, Mark Ziegler on San Diego State and UNLV that we will see tomorrow, one o'clock start. By the way, at the Thomas and Mac for UNLV in San Diego State, and I am uh, now. Partially stunned that he told us they've been running a one-three-one zone, <laughs> and apparently specifically for UNLV, yeah. specifically a hey, we've seen they sucked at this. We need to use it against Air Force, so we're ready to go against UNLV. This game's been in the forties, isn't it? Are we ta- Are we getting oh. a forty-nine, forty-seven game here? Because he, j- the other thing, he's like, well, they they kind of suck at offense now too. Yeah. Oh my God, this is gonna ju- uh, UNLV does try to play fast. And I think San Diego State's playing pretty fast this year, too. So there'll, there'll be enough possessions that we'll get, it, we'll, we'll get into the low 60s. There's, there should be yes. enough possessions we get into the low 60s. But if these two teams both have a have a bad offensive night... Could be in the 50s. Oh, boy. 53-48, your final <laughs> score. Oh, watch. They'll, they'll both be fine on offense. It'll be like... It'll ah, be like 78-74. Right. Both teams scored like... the Both teams hit like seven of their first 10 threes. Yeah. And it's just a it's just a runaway game. All right. We got Porta Subs to give away. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. Six-foot classic sub from Porta Subs. Plus, you're entered to win a Yeti cooler. Today, I think, is the last day to be entered to win that Yeti cooler as well. But you win right now a six-foot classic sub from Porta Subs, and you'll be entered to win a Yeti cooler from Finley, Volvo Cars, 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. Be caller number six right now. My only negative is Ashley, who's on in the morning sometimes, reminds me of a drunk fraternity girl who can't be quiet and is a loud mouth at the hockey game. And I love her. <laughs> I think it's Lindsay. Lindsay. Pardon me? I think, I think it's Lindsay. Name's Lindsay, yes. Oh, oh, okay, Ashley. Oh, okay, Ashley Brown or something like yeah, that. Lindsay it's Brown. Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's the only. That's the only negative I have. Everyone else, I love listening to morning, noon, and I've listened to you guys for a long time. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. It's Lindsay Brown. How much did that guy want her name to be Ashley? I don't know. Apparently, very much. <laughs> I mean, the fact that he was corrected and said, "Oh yeah, yeah, Ashley." <laughs> <laughs> All right, this weekend. The college football playoff is here. Um, One of my favorite things about the college football playoff every year is when you get the random trash talking quote because there's, you know, three to four weeks before the games start. Um, This week, we got two from TCU. Sonny Dykes, the head coach at TCU, said, you're not going to catch the Citadel in week 10. We caught Texas. 
about the SEC and their um, likelihood to schedule an FCS opponent in the second to last week of the season. He's he, playing a Big Ten Right, team. TCU's not even playing, playing Georgia. Like they're, I don't know why he's getting asked about it or talking about it, but it's great. He's just like, yeah, we played Texas in Week 10. They played the, the Citadel. Citadel, even though I don't even think the Citadel played an SEC team this year. His point still stands, but very, very strange as to why that's happening. The other one we got just yesterday, one of TCU's cornerbacks said about Michigan, it's been talked about in like every other article. We're way faster than any team that they've seen. What comes with speed is power. I feel like it'll be different for them. They're a solid team, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> TCU, who might be the least favorite team of these entire four, are the ones talking the most smack, which is I actually love pretty it. cool. I'm, they're winning it. Yeah. Not the whole thing. They're they're pulling off the upset of Michigan. Of Michigan? Let's they go. They are not. Back up the trash oh, talk. Come on, Danny. They're faster than anybody Michigan's seen. You must have yes. a play on it. Oh, yeah. Oh. What a shock. You oh, lay yeah. the points? Oh, yeah. Did you tease it up to like 35 or something? <laughs> no. Okay. I have I have Michigan minus 7.5 and, and I have Michigan minus 9.5. Wow. TCU wins by three. TCU loses by 15. I am cheering 15. for TCU because oh, yeah. I, I want to see what TCU has to say about Georgia when they play them in the title game. Who I, are these guys? I have a feeling that SEC quote might have been about Georgia. About I mean, SEC it probably was. always getting teams yeah. in the playoffs. Because well, the SEC scheduling, uh, there's a couple of things. One they usually will play an early conference game in the first right. like three weeks of the season. But also you have a couple of teams. South Carolina does it with Clemson and Florida does it with um, Florida State. You have a couple of teams whose like end of year rival is a non-conference opponent. Right. So the way the SEC does the schedule is everybody usually plays an early conference yeah. game. And then you have a November non-conference game and the teams say, hey, we're going to play the Citadel. I mean, it's before. smart. Right. And here's the thing. Everybody complains about it. Just do it, too. Yeah, you yeah, make you your schedule. Yeah, you can go find somebody. Yeah. Like TCU if, could find somebody. If you're the Big 12, play yeah. TCU, whatever, Kansas. Texas. In week two of the season. And then week 10, TCU gets to go play Abilene Christian. Right. Or some, I don't even know if they have football, which is even better. Like, just go find some random team. It's it's good. You basically get a mini bye week. Yeah. Right before, you know, your last game of the season and then your conference championship and then potentially your bowl game or playoff. Like, you stop complaining about it. Nobody's stopping you from doing it. There's no rule that only the SEC can do that. Do it yourself. So, yeah. sure, it might not feel right. Love the TCU's talking smack. Though. Oh, it's great. They're now my favorite team in this Final Four. I See? all in on them. Brought them it. over. Yes. Let, Come on. You didn't bring stop me it. over. I brought them over. I, you, the trash the sun, talking. The sun goes to TCU. The, stop it. The quarterback being like Michigan's not played anybody <laughs> as fast as us. They played another team in the playoffs. TCU, TCU support. <laughs> TCU overplayed their hand this season. They're all out of juice. Okay, I don't think they can overplay their hand when they were unranked and now they're in the playoff. Well, they saying, nothing, they, nothing was expected of them. Exactly. So they overplayed what was expected of them, and now they're done. But who's but, to say they can't complete, continue to do it? Oh, uh, they're done. They had a month off. Oh, this team. I, I'm all in. Um, let's go a Horned month Frogs. Off, Duggan's rusty. It's over. What, what, what's the Horned Frog saying? Gigum is Texas A&M. Sickum is Baylor. And TCU has one, too, and I can't remember what it is. Oh, I'm all in. Let's go. And you know what? Give me give me two weeks. Not two weeks. Give me like a month. 
I'm going to be telling you the Raiders should draft Max Duggan in the whatever round he's projected to go. By the way, when I watched that Big 12 championship and I saw everyone doing this, oh, the, I was the little like, horn frog like, finger signal. This? Yeah, it's kind what of stupid. What is going on? But I mean, listen, all college football hand signals are pretty stupid except for Texas. I mean, that's like that's clearly that, like, the best one. Yeah, that's the one that makes the most sense, yeah. but I also find it very ridiculous that teams get in trouble when they do the upside-down oh, you horns. Should, you should be allowed to do upside-down horns all the time. The all fact right. that teams have to be warned before games not to do it. This says, Riff Ram Bazoo. What is that? Oh. This is what this says. The, uh, Riff Ram Bazoo? What the hell are you saying? Give him hell, TCU. Riff Ram <laughs> is one of the oldest and most unique <laughs> cheers in collegiate sports. But it's just one of many cheers and chants TCU fans have embraced through the years.